0: What's up, everybody, and thanks for joining us back here on the Boot Sports Network for yet another episode of the Bald and the Beautiful, or as we like to call it, Boots to Balls. We are all warmed up. We are ready to outkick Louisiana sports coverage with you, and for all you first-timers, I am David Storm, PA announcer, game day host for your New Orleans Saints! And I'm joined, as always, by my partner in crime, the one and only... Donald Dunn, your favorite
1: commentator. Now, officially, predictor and aficionado of the dangerous LSU team that we have. Because it wasn't too dangerous at the end of the game, but it felt dangerous in our hearts.
0: Uh, it So much to say. So much to say. Before we get into that, if you don't mind, uh, I have to... Pay homage. We kind of left on a bit of a cliffhanger. I threw out there last week, I have a friend who we got into a, uh, a friendly conversation of who was going to win. He is uh, His name is Chris Levy. He's a Florida State guy. Uh, he's a Louisiana born and bred, but he's always been a, a lifelong Seminoles fan. He's an alum, and uh, he decided that he was going to weigh in and give us his own analysis. It was nice enough to do so in video format. So, yep, and well, well, it wasn't even that, but before, you know, we I put out there, we're a little friendly, little wager, so he had to respond, and I respect that he did. So what we're gonna do is, uh, we're gonna take it to the boot screen and see what Chris Levy had to say.
2: This is your pal, C. Levy. As all y'all know, this Sunday night, Florida State, my alma mater, plays LSU. I have 15 family members, just off the top of my head, who attended LSU, and a lot more friends who either attended LSU or cheers for LSU. One of those friends is my old buddy, one of my best friends from childhood, David Storm. He gave me a very nice shout out on his latest edition of his podcast. He had some very nice things to say about me, but he had some very strong opinions about the Florida State LSU game and I feel the need to respond. David, I love your optimism. I know you're excited about your team, but I feel you're severely underestimating this Florida State Seminoles team. Your partner Donald Dunn said this was a fairly potent Florida State offense? Looks like he was struggling to admit that. I laughed out loud when I heard that, with all due respect. I don't think that either of y'all know that much about our team. And that's fine. I mean no disrespect by that. The truth is, what Donald called a fairly potent offense is actually loaded. Jordan Travis is a legitimate Heisman candidate. He might very well be the best quarterback LSU faces all year. And we have our own stable of talented running backs who could see touches. Last year, LSU was pretty average against the run, and I'm sorry, but I do think that not having Mason Smith is gonna hurt you guys in this regard, although I do know Brian Kelly's game plan for his absence. But if Smith was out there, that would make all the difference in the world for LSU. I think that Brian Kelly's attempt to move the Grambling game before Florida State so Smith could serve as a suspension then was brilliant. Unfortunately for y'all, it didn't work out. We're loaded at wide receiver, led by Johnny Wilson and several transfers that were highly touted, been looking great in practice, but if you're relying on Deuce Chestnut to stop our passing attack, transfer from Syracuse, we had two touchdowns against him when we played Syracuse last year. Your O-line has greatly improved from the beginning of last year, but Fabian Lovett is consistently ranked one of the top defensive linemen in the ACC. Braden Fisk has been extremely impressive, and you cannot forget about ESPN preseason All-American Jared Verse, Patrick Payton at a defensive end. Thus far, we've been very lucky with no major injuries, unlike LSU. You say that LSU will beat us because Brian Kelly has the team working hard, and they really want this. Extra work in practice and the like. I have no doubt that Coach Kelly will have them ready, and I'm sure he's blasting the war chant at full volume at practice. He will have them ready for us, but so will Clemson, so will Miami, so will the Gators. Nobody's going to take us lightly. Nobody's going to sneak up on us. Traditionally, we have played Brian Kelly's teams tough, and even when we had a bad team. And I'm referring not only to last year, but also his time at Notre Dame. You made reference to the mistakes that LSU made last year. You hinted that's why you lost the game. I know last year LSU was a far different team at the end of the season than at the beginning. But keep in mind, we made mistakes too. We had the ball twice inside the eight yard line, got zero points out of it. It disgusted me. I know it took a block extra point to win the game, and we had. And had y'all gone for two, y'all definitely would have won. We weren't stopping y'all. But I personally feel that Florida State outplayed LSU the entire night, except for the last drive. The game was really not as close as the score suggested. But that was then. This is a whole different ball game. You're predicting LSU will win 38 to 20? I'm sorry, LSU could win this game. They're very talented. And if y'all can disrupt Jordan Travis, get in his face, the Fighting Tigers could easily pull this off. But 18 points? Sorry, not gonna happen. Knowles are 10-0-2 in Orlando, 8-2 all-time against LSU, five-game winning streak against the Bayou Bengals. I know all that means nothing in this game, but give me Florida State by five. Florida State 35, LSU 30. Now about your friendly wager, you're on, ding-dong, but let's be clear. This is for a straight-up win, no point spread. I know the point spread currently is still 2.5 in favor of LSU, which puzzles me, If we lose and LSU does not cover the spread, it's still a loss. So, friendly wager, straight up win. Let's have a good game. Go Seminoles. Be great. Thank you very much.
0: So, as a competitor and a commentator, I really want to tear that apart. But I can't. And here's why. I'm about to do something live on air that many people have speculated I would never do, could never do. I need the camera to zoom in real close because I know the internet is forever. I was wrong. I was wrong. David Storm was wrong, so very wrong. I bought into the hype, and um, and I did not. I did not know Florida State as well as I thought I did, and they they. I don't think LSU did either. It was a. Uh, it was a hard. You
1: know, let's let's back up. Let's back up a bit. So we're talking about LSU and FSU. The first half was not the second half. Plain and simple. Because that first half was not that hard to watch. LSU no. took the lead into the half. It looked like things were going well. A nice balanced game, give or take a few minor mistakes by the Tigers. But we went in with a lead. I disagree
0: slightly. Okay. Uh, I, I agree that it was easy to watch. It would have been a whole lot easier to yep. watch if we would have gotten points. Yeah. On those on all of our opening drives. First drive out, we uh we turn over on downs in the red zone. Yep. Second drive, touchdown. Third drive out, turnover on downs in the red zone. If you're asking me honestly, I think that was an early death blow uh, because it just sliced morale and it was, it was chum in the water yeah, and it was, it was blood and the sharks smelled it and they came to life both in the stands, in the bands on the field. And I'll talk about all that as we get a little further into our analysis, Absolutely. but still going into halftime, it was LSU's game to lose. And then they did. Yeah. Um,
1: wow. You know, I think it would be an appropriate time to turn over to producer Brett real quick, who has just been gnawing at the table to get his commentary in. Okay.
0: It's, I heard that might click on like two minutes ago.
3: <laughs> so um, a few things. Uh, number one, I do not think Florida State beat LSU. I think LSU beat themselves. Um, as David mentioned, we had horrible red zone execution, um, That which is just no excuses for I think if the game's played 10 times in a row, LSU probably wins five of them. Um, Because there's a lot of people out there who are scoreboard fans who will look at the final score and go, FSU destroyed them. But if you look at the stats, we were in the red zone God knows how many times. Jaden threw for almost 300 uh, yards. And we did great statistically. We were not outplayed. We were outcoached. But I... I'm actually really happy about that because if there's a game to lose, it's game one. You can easily recover from that. That doesn't shore a pl- chance at the playoff, SEC championship, et cetera. And it's a lot easier to fix play calls than it is players.
0: So a lot of good points to that. Um, and, and a lot of your points very much agree with, and some of them debatable, don't necessarily disagree. Uh, and here, yes, I agree. I think very much – uh, it was coaching,
1: yeah,
0: that won slash lost the game. LSU's first drive, two plays, they go the length of the field, and then suddenly let's try to run the ball, and they can't. Um, and and it's not to say that LSU completely lost the yeah. game on their own, and and that Florida State didn't have players in the game. Kudos to the Florida State oh, defensive absolutely. line. Yeah, they were getting after Jaden Daniels. All day long, they made it practically impossible to run up the middle. They were every bit as good as Chris LeVee said they were going to be. And I, for one, speaking for myself, if not for everyone else, severely underestimated that. The players, it's their job to run the plays. Yes. It is the coach's job to call the right play. I don't think that the right plays got called. And to complicate the issue, I don't think the players were able to to do what they should have been able to do with those. You're in the red zone. You've just got to run the ball for three yards for pay dirt. Yeah. And you've got three or four chances to do it. One of those drives, they even got a reset on the downs thanks to a defensive penalty and still unable. That's coaching. Yeah. But also players.
3: I will say this as well. What really interested me was we played the opposite of last year. Last year, um, Mississippi State, we went into the half 13-0. We went into the half at Auburn, 17-0, and Ole Miss, for the majority of the first half, was 17-3. to We won every one of those games. We were very much a second quarter team in every game we played, uh, or at least one, and it made me very confused, because I was thinking the whole first half, Matt House's defense is a second um, quarter defense, and... I'm at second half defense, and we never stepped up at the second half. So I just hope that that doesn't happen for future games.
0: Donald, what's your, what's your take on Brett's points? You know, as you were watching
1: the second half, I think things got somewhat interesting because you saw LSU's defense not just get outplayed, but overpowered. Um, There were several moments where you would have multiple tackles missed. And I think tackling is one of the main topics of the evening. You know, we can look at it in multiple different ways. But, you know, was it the yards after catch? Was it the uh, busted run defense that allowed Florida State to not get, you know, three to four yards, but then push it deep, get a first down? There were multiple moments where we had a complete breakdown of the scheme, I think, it, it it sort of fell beyond just player performance because the scheme was not generating an opportunity for players to get there and actually close in or you know coverage. We had a couple open passes from Florida State, which you know if we're giving them full credit, if they capitalize on their opportunities in their first half, which was their weaker half, it could have been even uglier. You know if we're being honest with ourselves. Now, LSU had that same opportunity. They could have taken advantage of the two scoring opportunities you've highlighted already. You know, if you just take your field goals there, let's assume everything else is as it was, you're going in up by over a score, over a touchdown going into the half. And that puts you in a much better position from the strategy and puts the pressure now on Florida State. So, you know, Mike Norvell did not hesitate to put himself uh in a position at the half to tell his team that you're not out of this that you are making the plays you just have a few mistakes and those mistakes got corrected if not amplified um and and you know brian kelly is not gonna collapse you know a lot of people saw him at the end of the game they said you know this is you know just typical brian kelly you know he just Doesn't quite finish in prime time. You've seen that multiple times. People are going to echo back. They're going to talk about Notre Dame, Alabama. They're going to look at all this. But the man can rebound after a loss. And LSU has some open space ahead where they can see green. They can see restructuring, rebuilding. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. But, you know, give me a little bit more about what you thought during the game itself. How we uh, found ourselves in the position we did.
0: You know, I'm going to say that I feel like there are some games that are won and lost in the first quarter. Not even necessarily so much by points, but by momentum. Absolutely. And I feel like LSU had all the opportunity to create the most positive momentum and failed to do so. And here's what I mean. You're playing in Orlando, which is supposed to be a neutral site, but you've got Florida State, which is closer. And LSU didn't really show out. I would say 80-20 is fair on it, that fan split. It was a very maroon uh crowd. Yeah. It absolutely was. So the LSU faithful, and I'm not, I'm not saying, ah, shame, but it does make a difference. Yeah. You don't have the fans getting behind you. A neutral site game suddenly becomes an away game for LSU. On top of it, your opening drive, like I said, in two plays, you are outstanding. Yeah. Ripping off. Big chunks of yard, your passing game seemingly unstoppable, and you (laughs) and kind of start going to the run game, which isn't working. Mm -mm. And then suddenly, you're giving the opposing defense an opportunity to go. Oh yeah. Then on top of it, the bands in college football—they always have such an impact. Yes, and the LSU, the Golden Band from Tigerland. I don't know that there is quite a band more impactful than that crew yeah and if you listened they got pooped on yeah anytime the lsu band started trying to play anything the war chant from florida state's yep. band and 80 percent of the crowd oh and just shut lsu absolutely
1: up. drowned them out. and
0: it was demoralizing and then On top of all that, while it's happening, and you realize we're killing, we're killing, we got killed. Yep. To lose it on that first drive, turnover on downs, that was the momentum swing. Mm -hmm. That was That was the stun punch right before the knockout punch. That second drive, two drives later, where they failed to get points again... Knockout punch. That's the one right there. And that's what I'm saying. I believe that did them in. It was such a morale killer. You've already lost the battle of the band, so to speak. You yeah. don't have the home crowd. You need the team to go in there and go, hey, shut up. Yep, Watch a me. And they didn't. And I don't necessarily believe the onus falls on the team when you recognize that you can't run up the middle. Stop running up the middle. Yeah, They didn't do that. You know, I, I think just
1: briefly here, you look at the second half, you barely got that 50 yards and going into the fourth quarter. The, the offense stalled heavily. Now, you had the opportunity there. You know, you give away a turnover, and that really, I think, took the opportunity away because LSU was not necessarily out of the game at the second half, uh, even going into the fourth quarter. They were not out of the game, but – they were not necessarily ever putting themselves in a position to strike, to, like you were saying, take the life out of the fan base. You know, I, I was there last year in the Dome. That Florida State war chant is truly ominous in person. And, you know, obviously if you're able to go play in Bryant Denny, if you're able to go play in the Swamp last year, uh, Jordan Aaron, get these wins, you can play on the road. But it is offsetting, particularly whenever you have those freshmen playing for their first time. And, you know, that, you know, Producer Brett, you've been in a lot of SEC stadiums. What, what are your kind of thoughts here
3: as we saw LSU in the second half kind of get well, taken I, over by the I Florida think State I, I mentioned earlier how I think LSU beat itself. I think that number five moniker made, filled a bunch of people's hubris, and I think that's what it was. Because that first drive looked like 2019 energy. I even turned to Donald, who I was watching the game with at the time, and was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be easy. And then we made it to the red zone, and I was like, what? And then I, I'm not going to go over what Dave said, but – I will say this much. We were pointing, a lot of people have been pointing fingers and I'm on a lot of LSU Facebook pages and forums and it may have been Brian Kelly's fault It may have been the band's fault. We don't know, but I'll tell you whose fault it wasn't and that is Jaden Daniels. Everyone is throwing so much hate at Jaden Daniels and I don't know what more you want from this man. The man, yeah, he couldn't run that well because the O-line kept crumbling around him. A problem I pointed out last week's episode. Mm -hmm. But a one thing he did was he was throwing great. He was he was shotgunning passes across the field, and our receivers just weren't catching them. And in many instances, they caught them and dropped them. And I just find it incredibly disheartening that people are screaming, oh, we need to put in Nussmeier when we have what I truly believe has a potential being a Heisman candidate quarterback who's doing his best, throwing for more than 200 yards, and somehow people think that's bad. I mean – you take a look at his stats. I have it pulled up
1: here. The man, if you include the yards lost on a sack, which is, again, the greatest downfall of the college football system where you lose your running yards on sacks as a quarterback, still put up 64 yards on the ground, was LSU leading rusher. The man put up 347 yards in the air, was by far a adequate LSU quarterback if you look over the past, even in the modern era of football, let's say since Brandon Harris, one of top two LSU quarterback performances. You know... LSU has a lot going on right now, but they do not have a reason to be worried, as in the fan base speaking. You know, we came in today at number 14 of both the coaches and the AP poll. That is within striking distance of New Year's Year's Six Bowl games. That's within striking distance of, you know, and I don't want to get anybody upset. But we are still in position to make a playoff run. What you have to do mentally as a fan base And as a team, I believe, is just basically take game one and pretend it was a wash. And you are now starting a brand new season with 11 games to go at the 14th position in the rankings. That is not that hard of a challenge to overcome. We've seen teams shoot up from unranked to be able to get into the top 10, top 5. LSU simply has to do their job. And they have, like I said, a green field coming in the next few weeks You have a team like Grambling. You have a team with Mississippi State who, you know, we're going to talk about them later, how they performed against Southeastern. But it wasn't necessarily shocking, and particularly if you were watching the first half, I would say that it was a bit of a struggle in some ways. Uh, LSU has the opportunity to rebound and rebuild this team just like they did last year when everyone was very hesitant on Brian Kelly after the loss in the Superdome, and they ended up going to Atlanta. Do I think this team right now should be the favorite to go to Atlanta from the SEC West? No, that'd be silly. But do they lack the talent that prevents them from winning big games? No, not at all. I think LSU can handle their business. They can get there. And, you know, we're going to have to see. You know, it's a weak game this week, but it's an opportunity to learn and an opportunity to test things.
3: And I will say this last thing. Um, I want to mention that people often bring up Notre Dame when it comes to Brian Kelly. And like Dave mentioned, they're like, oh, prime time, Brian Kelly can't make it. Or maybe you've mentioned not. Yeah. But um, Brian Kelly is the GOAT. He has the most wins of anyone in college football. And last week I was stumbled and said, so I'll kind of restate this, that Notre Dame is incredibly hard to recruit for for their academic standards. Yet he was taking subpar players to national championships. He may not have won them, but he couldn't get past that glass ceiling. His best Notre Dame team could not beat Alabama, but what is most likely going to be his worst LSU team beat them in his first try. I'm not worried at all. If there's any game to lose, it's game one. Brought new horizons from here. I truly believe that LSU is going to go win every game, win the SEC, maybe even see Florida State again in the playoffs. I'll look forward to it, and I'd look forward to a second wager from Dave. Dave. So, <laughs> so we that. We need
0: to talk about that wager. Obviously I did lose and Chris and I have been in communication. The, uh, the terms have been set. Oh. He has asked for, uh, some, some special and unique, uh, items from the saints Jacksonville game. That's going to take place okay. in October. Uh, some unusual things that you're, you're not going to get as a regular everyday fan. They are coming. They will be, uh, your way. His birthday is October 2nd. So it'll be a nice little late birthday gift. Um, and we're not going to pretend like that game didn't happen. Yeah. But you have to move on. You do. You, you do. have to put that behind. You put it in your rearview mirror. Take the L. And here's the thing. You guys did a great job in trying to USA the fan base a little bit. Um I'm going to rile them up a little bit. Uh-oh. I am. I, I hope somebody's that, got to. I hope that the LSU Tigers are humbled. I hope that we are fans are humbled. I bought into the hype. I did. And I was wrong. I think the team bought into the hype. Some of them. Maybe all of them. Maybe Coach Kelly. I'm not going to speak for him. Maybe. Um, And they went in there thinking that they were just going to run around and manhandle people. I thought they were going to run around and manhandle people. Far
1: from the reality.
0: It didn't happen. So I hope that they're embarrassed. Because they should be. I'm embarrassed for my silly wager. I hope that they're angry. Because they should be. And that anger and that embarrassment, that's what needs to fuel the Tigers. Show them who they should have been. Mm. who they're capable of being when they go against grambling on Saturday. I will give my predictions later in the show.
1: Well, with that, we're going to transfer into our first break, which we're going to promote ourselves. How about the Boot Sports Network? As an early listener to the Bootsports Podcast, you have the opportunity to shape our community. Follow our social media, Instagram, X, Facebook, and the big one, YouTube, where you can like and subscribe. Share your comments at bootsportsnetwork.com. We have a comment section up there where you can submit your questions via a email and we'll get those questions in our inbox and we'll be able to take those and comment on them at the next episode. So if you have thoughts on why we're completely wrong about LSU Florida State, let us know and let us respond. The conversation is entirely in your hands. Also, be sure to head over to BootsportsNetwork.com where you can find all the distribution platforms for our audio and visual shows as well as how to get in contact with us. Once again, subscribe to the Bootsports
0: Network. And Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish, they want to give you $10,000. Family Promise is an organization that provides shelter, help, and hope for families on the North Shore, and they can't do it alone. For only $25 from now until December 15th, you can buy tickets for their 4th Annual Family Promise Raffle. Starting on November 1st, they're going to draw for amazing daily prizes, and all daily winners remain eligible for the $10,000 grand prize drawing on December 15th. The more tickets you have, the better your odds. Get yours now at fpstp.org. That's F-P, Family Promise of St. Tammany Parish, STP, F-P, STP .org. So, as we mentioned, it was kind of a heartbreaking loss, yes. LSU falling to Florida State. It was a tough week for Louisiana college football all the way around, mm. really. Uh, La Tech falls to SMU, 38-14. Mississippi State, all over Southeastern, 48-7. Nichols falls to Sacramento State, 38-24. McNeese, 52-34. Loss against Tarleton State, at uh, ul and northwestern one was going to have to win one was going to have to lose yeah. ul wins 38 13 thankfully though tulane wins against south alabama reclaiming mardi gras all mm. 37 oh. mm. saving the state and i tell you what uh that game was fun to watch yes that yes. was impressive junior quarterback michael pratt Outstanding in Tulane season opener. He went 14 for 15, 294 yards, an average of 20 yards per pass, four touchdowns, no interceptions. The ESPN NCAA passer rating, 346. Wow. <laughs> That's the NCAA rating, which is a little bit different than the NFL rating. I
1: don't think I've seen that one.
0: I had to look it up because I honestly thought it was a typo. Yeah. In the NFL, a perfect passer rating, 158.3. Absolutely. So, 346, maybe they meant 146, I thought. Yeah. No. There were some quarterbacks in history that finished with passer ratings seasonally of like 161 or better. yeah. 346 is a legitimate thing in the NCAA. There is a QB passer rating online. Look it up. Just input the stats, and it'll tell you all about it. Impressive. How does that calculate on the NFL scale? I'm glad you asked.
1: Thank
0: you. 158.3. It was a perfect, perfect passer rating for junior quarterback Michael Pratt. Uh, Tulane looked amazing. Yes, it I looked did. polished, precise in all parts of the game. They uh, On offense, especially, they had a wildcat trick play that oh, yeah. they threw in there. Uh, Almost a little end around, not quite a flea flicker. Ended up getting back to Pratt, who lined up, took took the pitch, one-two drop, throw, dime. 45-yard touchdown to Jaquan Jackson. That touchdown tied the Tulane all-time passing touchdown record (laughs) for Pratt, who is a junior in his first game of his junior season. Tied that record. Uh, Tulane was poised to score again with a first and goal from the South Alabama three-yard line in the final minute of the game leading 37-17. Despite it all, season debut, battle for Mardi Gras, as easy as it would have been, the knowledge of knowing that even if they made a tragic mistake, it would not have cost them the game. Coach Willie Fritz sends out victory formation Mm. instead um, instead of letting Pratt take the shot, break the record. Throughout the game, the commentators at multiple times mentioned the potential for Michael Pratt to be in the running for Heisman consideration. Right now, he's not even in the top five in the odds lines. Um, So I have some questions for you. You watched the game. I did. You saw how well Tulane was performing, especially in the second half. They owned South Alabama.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Why not let him break the record in the debut? You know, I think
1: what they're probably thinking there is, honestly, you got to preserve your best asset. He did take a pretty big shot during that game and, you know, thankfully was able to get up and keep going. You know, I think you had to just sort of play the cautious ear there. It's game one. Two lanes in a, in a position for a very special season. You know, they don't want to risk anything, and they already handled business by the end of the game for what it was worth. You know, there was no uh, doubt in their mind at a 20-point victory. That sounds good to them. Uh, playing that sort of, you know, unique spot Saturday night in Yulman, not going in a, maybe an earlier day or something like that with a big game coming up the next week. So, you know, they wanted to make sure all their best assets were prepared and ready for their next upcoming game.
0: So you know, you know I like to play devil's advocate. Absolutely. I asked you that question with an answer prepared. So it would be easy. It would have been very easy for Michael Pratt to take that shot. Going in there, they were first and goal from the three-yard line. He was limping, but he did have some nice plays in extending that drive. Yeah. It would not have been difficult for him to, okay, run the ball, yeah. run the ball. Oh, pass, touchdown, easy. You've got Ole Miss coming up. Yeah. Tulane stayed at 24 in the AP Top 25 poll, which I think is a travesty. Ole Miss jumped a spot. They went from 22 to 21. So now, technically, Tulane are dogs in this one. Uh, they are I, they are not favored. It, I think it's going to be close. Uh, and honestly, I think Tulane's going to do better. The game is going to be at Yulman. And what did I say about the LSU game? You got to have momentum. You got to have the crowd. You got to give the people what they want. And watching Michael Pratt in the opening drive against Ole Miss in a top 25 showdown, break that record, crowd's going to go nuts. That's the kind of momentum that Tulane is going to need to carry them through that game. And if that is the reason why Coach Willie Fritz decided to do that, if he was even thinking that far in advance, golf clap and kudos to you, Coach. Uh, I love that. I love the thought of that. Should Michael Pratt be in Heisman contention conversation?
1: I think so far it's a bit early. You know, you're looking at a G5 team, even though they're a top 25 team. And, you know, as many of us will discuss, are they a contender for the big one at the end of the year? Who knows? But, you know, I think if he plays this well at the midpoint of the season, not saying every game's gonna be a perfect passer record, but you know, if he's let's say top twenty overall in stats and Tulane still undefeated, his name is gonna come up. Um and will he be able to creep past some of those big schools, the blue bloods of college football? I can't necessarily say yes or no yet, but I don't see why you don't start mentioning his name and you know, if we're looking at his name still in December,
0: I think he's uh my guess. he's a junior. If he doesn't get into Heisman conversation this year, Tulane has another year like they had last year, double-digit wins, big bowl game win. Is he in the conversation next year? If he has the same kind of production this year or better than he had last year?
1: I believe he is draft eligible. And then you start getting into the conversation. Does he stick around for another year as a junior? Um, I think... If he chooses to do that in this NIL era, and honestly, as a New Orleanian, if you are thinking about making NIL deals with some Tulane players, I think you know which one to pick. Um, Yeah, I think he could. I think he could. Now, um, it's going to be a lot to ask Tulane to put on basically 20 straight wins if they're going to keep this going for multiple years, but as long as they still have their coach and they still have uh, Michael Pratt.
3: Yeah.
0: They could. Tulane remains at 24 in the AP Top 25. Fair
1: or unfair? I think they could have moved up a spot. Um, We did see Clemson go beneath them. I don't know if it was appropriate to put Colorado ahead of them. That was my biggest uh, gripe, I would think.
0: Colorado did have an impressive showing. Coach Prime's debut. You have 80 new people over there. it was Nobody expected them to do what they did against the contenders for the national championship in TCU. So, hats off to Coach Prime and, and everybody in Colorado. Um, does Colorado deserve to be on the list? Yes. Yeah. Do they deserve to be ahead of Tulane? I uh, don't. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, Too early to Maybe a spot ahead. Yeah. Um, but Tulane definitely should have moved up. Um, you had a lot of SEC teams that were nationally ranked who moved up because they had cupcakes that they squashed. Yeah. You had a couple of underperformers who either stayed where they were, moved up. Of course, LSU moves down. Florida State moves up. I think Tulane should have moved up. I think they they should be at 22 to 23. I think 24 is is a little too low. I think that's some baloney, personally. Um, Just me. We're going to take a moment. We're going to kick it around the boot when we come back here in just a little bit. Uh, but before we do, we want to point you guys to the direction of our friend Jay Ducote's new cookbook. From venison griots to coconut chili chocolate tarts and so much in between, friend of the show, Jay Ducote's Louisiana Outdoor Cooking features more than 150 recipes, fun and easy enough to make in the backyard. It also tells the remarkable story of how this Baton Rouge-based chef Achieved national, 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 national culinary celebrity. Fans of the reality cooking show Food Network star remember Jay Ducote is the runner-up in season 11. It was a very strong showing that led to appearances on Chopped, Cutthroat, Kitchen, and many other programs, including an episode of Beat Bobby Flay, in which he did say it with me, Beat Bobby Flay. So go to jdecody.com for more information or to purchase Louisiana Outdoor Cooking, also available at Barnes and & Noble's and other fine retailers.
1: And, of course, once again, we would be remiss if we did not mention to thank our friend Tommy Talley and the folks here at Echo Tango for providing us with a beautiful podcast studio to record all this for you in and, of course, give us the ability to stream it all the way across the world with all of our beautiful setups. So don't forget,
0: we want to give a thanks to Tommy. And once again. Thank you very much, Tommy and Echo Tango. All right, time to kick it around the boot. We've spent uh, half of the show now talking about college football, but uh, two of the big three here in the state of Louisiana, Tulane, LSU, lots to talk about. Let's get to three of three. In Saints news, last week uh, we reported the Saints' main roster cuts. It was a cut deadline. On April 30th, they or not April 30th, excuse me. Wow, April 30th, August 30th, they announced – yeah, seriously. Man, that was, that's, we're, that's some serious reporting looking that far in the future. August 30th, they announced which players they decided to bring back to comprise their practice squad. Some notable names that fans are going to be excited to see. You may have endeared yourself to these players over the preseason. Lynn Bowden, Shaq Davis, John Trey Kirkland, Nico Lalos, Ellis Merriweather, Storm Norton, and Kyle Phillips. Happy to see those guys back. Uh, you probably, or maybe you didn't know, I don't know, Sean Payton took yet another Saint from us, announcing last week that they signed tight end Lucas Krull, the second former New Orleans Saint tight end, because remember they got Adam Troutman earlier in the offseason, uh, signed the second former New Orleans Saint tight end to their squad after the Saints waived him. And honestly, I'm, I'm okay with that. Uh, Lucas Krull was kind of on my personal cut list. Uh, too many crucial drops on what should have been gimme's um, you did. And then going into this week's season opener, the New Orleans Saints have changed the position designation for one Mr. Football, number seven from BYU, Taysom Hill. They have moved him officially, this is via the Saints app, from tight end to quarterback. Now remember last year we were talking about it. They said that the Taysom Hill quarterback experiment is officially over. Well, now he's listed as QB3. You've got Derek Carr, you've got Jameis, and you've got Taysom, and then you've got Jake Hainer at QB4. So is the Taysom Hill quarterback experiment over or not? And I'm not going to pretend like I know. The NFL gambling policy doesn't let us do anything that relates to players and money. So I just stay away from fantasy football. I honestly don't know much about it. Changing him from a tight end to a quarterback after, and I do believe this happened after a lot of drafts happened, how does that affect um, things for fantasy coaches? Well,
1: as the resident
0: both fantasy
1: commissioner and coach in the room, uh, big change because, you know, you look at some of these leagues where you have certain restrictions on tight end. Let's say for some reason you thought Taysom was going to break the world as a tight end, so you only took him as a tight end. You've drafted your league. You're now at a tight end. And uh, you basically have a empty Raptor spot on week one. So, wow. Uh, Saints really did some fantasy football managers in this week. It, it was a not unpredictable move. I did not know that once the season basically had started, you were allowed to change official designated positions. I, I understand that uh, Jameis is on the injury report this week, questionable with a wrist injury. So it would make sense that the Saints are basically elevating a quarterback. However... You didn't think that they would elevate a tight end to quarterback. So, you know, we'll see how that goes. If that's a permanent thing for the rest of the season. Is it a one week experiment just to basically meet some minimum, maybe? Um, you know, the Saints leave a scratching
0: her head again. That is an excellent point. I did not even think to consider that point. Of course, we all know what Taysom Hill is capable of. Um but with Jameis being questionable on the the uh, the injury list, the inactive list, uh, if God forbid yeah. something should happen to Derek Carr, do you jump Jameis, who's questionable, may not play, and go right to Jake Hayner against the Titans? No, having Taysom Hill there, but do you need to designate him as a as a quarterback to do that, or could he just be the tight end under center?
1: You know, I'm not gonna say with. 100% certainly, I understand the new NFL third quarterback on on game day policy, but that might have something to do with it. And honestly, if all goes well, unless we see Taysom playing a Taysom play where he's the quarterback, we should not have to worry about him taking significant snaps on this team with two very competent quarterbacks at both the starter and backup position.
0: So I will say this again, admitting that I don't really know much about fantasy football. I was talking with a a buddy of mine today who showed me his, uh, his fantasy draft. And he said that they were playing in a league where they voted. There was an option where you could play team quarterback. So basically if you drafted uh, Derek Carr, you wouldn't just get Derek Carr. You would get the entire Saints quarterback bench, and they would play much like the defenses would. You don't yeah. draft single yeah. defensive players. You draft an entire team's defense. How excited do you think people that drafted Derek Carr are now yeah. if they're playing in a league that operates that way, and now they're going, well, technically, Taysom's a quarterback, and if he gets a couple touches then, you know, maybe my point's through the roof. It's, uh,
1: it's going to throw a wrench in things, and uh, sometimes we see this as a push in that world, uh, particularly whenever there's some dollars in there. So we'll see what the
0: different providers choose to do this week. It's going to be interesting. We're going to talk more about the Saints when we give our predictions coming up in just a little bit in the show. As we mentioned, it was a tough week for Louisiana College football. Also, it wasn't the best week for Brandon Ingram, Team USA, in the Basketball World Cup they took their first loss in the World Cup tournament to Lithuania, 110-104 on Sunday. Now, while we've spent a lot of time focusing on Pelican Brandon Ingram being part of Team USA, should also be noted that the Lithuanian team, which was eliminated from the tournament in the very next round, was led by seven-foot-tall Pelican center Jonas Valanciunas, who we have uh, levied fair praise upon. Uh, he hails from Lithuania. Despite that loss, Team USA did still qualify for the Olympics and advanced to the quarterfinals of the World Cup where they faced Italy, who it was also 4-1. and one. That happened earlier today. They routed them 100-63, advancing to the semifinals where they'll face the winner of Germany, Latvia. I haven't had a chance to check and see if that game has happened yet. Uh, and bringing the team back home for a second, some sad news, some bad news at a Pelican's camp. Pelicans report today. Reported, the Pelicans report reported today. I know uh, that Pelicans Trey Murphy III suffered a left meniscus injury during workouts this week. Depending on what procedure is deemed necessary for his treatment, that's going to determine how long he's going to be out of action. It's got two main options. It looks like a meniscectomy, which is going to put him on the shelf for four to eight weeks. Meniscus repair surgery will require four to six months of recovery. How big a blow is that to the Pelicans at this point in the offseason? Well, the
1: biggest experience I think we have locally with this injury, and this is throwing it way back for all you longtime Pelican or We're the Pelican fans. Uh, When Chris Paul had a similar meniscus injury, this was, I believe, back in 09. And that was the uh, birth of Darren Collison, that era, if you recall that. Um, And I believe he had the just basically healing procedure, not the full surgery. He was out about two and a half months uh, full time and then came back on minutes restriction. So if we applied that timeline, hoping the best for Trey, let's assume that he gets back, let's say around Christmas time, knowing the Pelicans. Uh, I think they're not going to be derailed, but they will certainly be hampered. I think that you're probably going to see overall maybe like a 3-4 to win-loss on the prediction side of things, you know, so you maybe go from 48 to 44, something in that nature. I don't think it bumps you out the playoffs by any means, but losing a starter for extended periods into the regular season will hurt. You know, maybe he comes back before the uh,
0: mid-season tournament. So here's hoping for – all the best for Trey Murphy III. But this is why, more now than in the past two seasons, it is imperative to get and keep Zion healthy. If you have Trey and Zion injured and on the bench, the Pels are in trouble. Pels are in big trouble. So uh, our our best hopes, prayers, thoughts, wishes going out to Trey Murphy III third. Uh, Here's hoping for the best possible scenario there. Uh, In some good Pelicans news, uh, this year, the NBA, for the first time, is going to have an in-season tournament. Through their social media, the Pelicans have announced that if they win, the fans win. If the Pelicans win the tournament championship, they're going to give away $1 million in total sweepstakes prize money to 100 eligible participants. They say that to enter to win, all fans have to do is just attend one Pell's in-season tournament home game. Uh, For more information on that, because the in-season tournament is a brand new thing, fans should check out Pelicans.com slash IST. It, It should be, and I believe... It will be. All right, so that is us kicking it around the boot. Got to take a moment to look back, look at our predictions from last week, and uh, look ahead to see how we think we're going to do. Uh, and we're going to name a, a weekly winner. Now that we've got games kicking off, I think this will kind of be fun to see where we're at, what our what our record is. Uh, LaTeX versus SMU. I said fifty six twenty three SMU. You said 45-28, SMU. Neither one of us really gave uh, LaTeX a chance in this one. And we were both right, SMU, 38-14. to 14. You were closer with your prediction on that one. One point to Donald. Southeastern versus Mississippi State. I really wanted to see our boys line up. I really gave them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, I really need to learn to listen to people... Um, both you and Chris tried to tell me, and I was like, "Not gonna hear it." Uh, you said Mississippi State fifty-two to ten, and you were easily closer. It was Mississippi State. It was a route. forty-eight to seven. Bing, two points, Donald, on that one. Ull, the Raging Cajuns taking on Northwestern. I said UL forty-four to ten. You said 35 to 7. We thought it was gonna be big. UL ends up winning 38-13. We're both right. We're both off by nine points. Ding ding, point for each of us. Donald's up three to one. Tulane versus South Alabama. I said 31-24. You said 30 to 27. We were both pretty close on this one. Uh I was just a smidge closer. You were off by 17. I was off by 13. Point me, Donald three, David two. LSU to Florida State. Uh, We were all off in this one thinking that LSU was going to be the winner. So uh, while none of us picked the correct team, we got to go off a point differentials. And we're bringing producer Brett back in for this one because this was the only game he chimed in with predictions for. I said LSU 38 to 20. Producer Brett had a couple of predictions, the first of which was his NCAA simula- simu- simulation. And I've got to ask. So you often read stories, Producer Brett, where, like, they use Madden to simulate how the NFL season is going to go. And it is 100% computer simulated. It's not some, like, game expert playing against another game expert or playing against the computer. How is your simulation run?
3: Well, um, there's a few difficulty modes in NCAA 2014 for the Sony PlayStation 3, and the, with the easiest being freshman difficulty and the hardest being Heisman. So what I do is I boot up the game. I put on Heisman difficulty. I don't choose season. I choose exhibition. I choose the stadium, the game's being played in. Um, uh, so for the last prediction, I chose whatever. It, the name is Casey, but the UCF field. And then I, um, camping Girl, camping World and then I uh, basically play. I uh, I choose LSU, and I choose um, basically when a play starts, whether you're playing offense or defense. You can choose different playbooks. Like you can choose like, okay, am I going to throw or am I going to run? And then from there, you can choose shotgun for. Um, you can choose, like, goal line formations on defense. You can choose blitzes. You can choose nickels, dimes, whatever, and then you can even make your own plays, and that's what I do.
0: So you actually play the game against the computer, hardest difficulty mode. Correct. With all of the the parameters equaling what the game parameters would be. Yes,
3: and it should be noted that the game stopped officially updating rosters in 2014, but fans have who are crazier than I make stats with, like, using the current stats for the seasons and stuff, and fan update it every year, and that's what I'm currently using. It's honestly a breathtaking process, how they go through every single roster and
1: reevaluate God, every single roster and add the names. Yeah.
0: Okay. So, in your NCAA simulation, you picked LSU to win 38-28, to 28, which was close to my prediction. Uh, the brain of Brett <laughs> said 27-14. Which is funny because you play the game, which is also run by the brain of Brett. Whatever, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, Donald, you said uh, LSU was going to win 44 to 38. You were very close. Uh, FSU scored 45. uh, And then LSU LSU scored 24. You were ultimately off by 15. Uh, Brain of Brett was off by uh, 18, 7, 25. Uh, but both Brett and I were only 11 points off his simulation, surprisingly, um, matched mine in point differentials, 38 to 20, 38 to 28. Uh, we were seven points off the, the main score, four points off the, uh, the losing score. So... Brett gets a point for his NCAA simulation, and I finish with three. You finish with three. Brett finishes with one point for the week. So we tie. Congratulations to you. Good, sir. It is indeed, which takes us to our predictions looking ahead. Uh, we're not going to catch all of the games. We're going to catch uh, some of the big ones. We're going to give some love out to uh, some of the teams that we feel like don't get enough love, and we're going to start with La Tech a team who I have not given a lot of love this season. Uh, I have not jumped on the LaTex bandwagon one time so far. They're 1-1 one one coming off that big loss to SMU. Northwestern 0-1 oh after that 38-13 loss from UL. Bachmeyer and the Dogs, even in defeat, were able to hang 23 points. I don't think the Demons are going to stop the Hungry Dogs. They know what victory tastes like. They want another bite. Bulldogs. I'm jumping on the bandwagon this week. Don't let me down. lottech thirty one seventeen.
1: So, uh, this one's up there at Joe. This is not being played out in uh, good old Natchitoches. but, yeah. yeah, so looking at Bulldogs and Rustin, I feel like that gives them a distinctive home advantage. And with the way they've been playing, get a chance to really stretch that offense, give them a chance to play a little bit more freely than they have at a previous conference game and then their premier uh, out of conference game. I think, gonna see the bulldogs really put on a show here i'm gonna go a little bit higher scoring i'm gonna go 38 to 7 38 7
0: bulldogs all right log it in it should also be noted by the way that we did get the powerball tickets yeah. complete losers we didn't win a dollar from powerball all right southeastern versus south alabama Southeastern's going to make another playoff run or defend their Southland Conference title. They're going to need to bounce back this week and start that winning way. Uh, we got to look at South Alabama last week in their loss to Tulane. Jag should be humbled, putting down the beads to focus on the ball. Uh, and I think this one is going to be close. Something's got to give for somebody. And I hate to say it. I don't want to say it. Uh, but we're not going to line up this week. I think Southeastern picks up a second L. Uh, I say it's going to be South Alabama, forty-one to thirty-four.
1: So out there at Hancock Whitney Stadium in Mobile, Alabama, I feel like Southeastern is going to at least have a better chance than going against a SEC opponent. I don't think it gives them enough of a chance. I'm gonna go twenty-seven to ten on this one. Twenty-seven to South six. Alabama
0: Jaguars. All right. Moving on, Southern hosting Jackson State. This is a big FCS rivalry game. Southern is looking for their first win of the season. Lost a close one to Alabama State, 14-10. Jackson State, 1-1 currently after last week's loss in the Orange Blossom Classic against FAMU, 28-10 there. They did have a week one or week zero win against South Carolina State, 37-17. It's a rivalry game. It's all going to come down to who wants it more Rivalry games are always close, and not always, typically, usually. I think it's going to stay close. I think Southern wins this one at home, 21-17.
1: So we saw both Southern and Jackson State fail to really move the ball last week, both scoring 10 points. I think that changes this week. We're going to see a little bit more on the point side of things. I'm going go to go 35-27. to I'm going to go Jackson State. I don't see Southern oh. pulling it out at home. I hate to say it, you know. I'm uh. I'm a child of a Southern alum, but I can't do it. I think uh, Jackson State has this one.
0: All right. McNeese gets to figure out what SEC power is all about, even though they're facing Florida. Not one of the SEC's most powerful teams at the moment. This one's going to be in Gainesville. Both teams winless. Honestly, neither one looks like they're going to have a strong year based on last week's performances. And as much as I want to say state pride, I don't think McNeese is ready for the SEC. There's three teams looking for the first win in the SEC. Of course, LSU, South Carolina, and Florida. I think Florida is going to get it. McNeese, you wouldn't find a win against any of those three. Sorry, Cowboys. It's going to be ugly. Uh, pack a lunch. Florida, 34-3. to three.
1: That's very nice of you. I'm glad that you think that McNeese has that much uh, defensive power, but they gave up 52 to brand-new FCS team Tarlington State, south of Dallas, Texas. Um They're not gonna have fun against Florida, even though Florida did not have any fun in Utah last week. I'm going a little bit bigger here. I'm going another 52, this time to three.
0: Yeah, gonna go with the Gators. All right, moving right along. Time to get into the big three: Tulane, LSU, and the Saints. Tulane's got Ole Miss. Oh, I'm excited for this one. No disrespect to any of the other teams. I think this, and it's, it's going to drive producer Brett nuts. It's going to be the Louisiana College game of the week, and it should be. Ole Miss started the season ranked 22nd, two spots ahead of Tulane. They've moved up just a smidge after showing Mercer no mercy in a 73-7 route. It's going to be a true test for Michael Pratt and the green wave at Uelman. If the wave rolled the rebels, they could be unstoppable this season. It will not be easy. Fans are really going to need to get into this one and stay in it. Pratt's going to have to break that record early and fans are going to have to stay excited by it. I'm honestly torn in this one. I could see it going either way. Tulane had an outstanding season last year with a couple of losses. But like I said last week, my posse's on Broadway. I'm going Tulane 44-42. to
1: 42. Ooh, Very high-scoring affair there. Now, I've been going back and forth on this one. Uh, the books tell me that Ole Miss is now a touchdown and a half. i sorry, seven and a half points, let me be clear. Seven and a half point favorite against the Green Wave. I am going to have to move off of that line. I have Tulane pulling a close one at home last second score 33 to
3: 30 lane kiffin by 13
0: <laughs> all right i'm going to put that in there just cuz brett says lane kiffin by 13, by 13. you want to give actual numbers or you just want to say lane kiffin by 13 i just gonna say lane kiffin by 13
3: all right lane kiffin by th- lane kiffin
0: All right. He said it. We'll, uh, we'll put it in there. We'll see what he does. LSU versus grambling. We spent a lot of time talking about it. We don't need to keep beating a a dead grambling. This one I think is going to be fun. And it's, I think it's going to be the rebound and the bounce back that the LSU tiger fans need after, uh, after that loss in Florida. Uh, We'll see what kind of impact a returning Mason Smith can have on the defense. We didn't even get a chance to talk about that. I think in Death Valley, LSU reminds Grambling and the world what they're capable of. It's going to be big. It's going to be ugly. 49-10 LSU.
1: Again, that's very nice of you to talk about Grambling that way. Um, Grambling, as a little bit of an informative piece here, is a team that is in rebuilding. They have a second year under former NFL coach Hugh Jackson. They bring in a whole new slot of teams, uh, slot of their team. Basically, they hit the transfer portal hard, and, you know, they, they rebuilt. They're better than last year where they had pretty low for their standard win total. I'm going to go pretty big here on this one. I have LSU at 63 to Grambling at 7.
0: I wouldn't be mad at it.
1: No, and, and I think that's what Brian Kelly wants to see is a dominant performance.
0: All right, I'm bringing in producer Brett for this one because he jumped in on the uh, the LSU game last time. And uh, as as well as you did with your NCAA simulation, I am dying to see uh, how close it gets this
3: week. So the Brett three. Number one, brain of Brett. I think we're going um, 58 LSU, three grambling. Um I'm going to preface this NCAA prediction with my NCAA predictions have been known to be incredibly close. Specifically, last year uh, I played Alabama. The game ended in NCAA 42 41 with us going for two in overtime. Real life 32 31, us going for two in overtime. In this game in NCAA, very realistic score 102 LSU oh, God. to 14 Grambling. 102 to 40. I'm not going to lie. In you need the, to
1: work on your defense there. Uh, uh,
3: in the third half, I would no, No, I was playing LSU, obviously. <laughs> I, I was literally just got bored and just started to um, onside kick it to myself and made it many times and was like, okay. <laughs> so, and then lastly, LSU by 50,000.
0: LSU by 50,000. <laughs> All right, well, we'll definitely put that one up there. I think they're going to have to add some spots on the scoreboard. They're going to have to use a baseball scoreboard for that one. All right, our last game of the weekend, Saints taking on the Titans. We get our first real look at the Saints at home, taking on returning former Green Wave running back Tajay Spears and the AFC South's Tennessee Titans. The Titans finished 7-10 and last season, second in the AFC South behind Jacksonville They do have talent. Uh, They finished the preseason two and one, as did we. They do not have the home field advantage. They do not have the Saints nation who will be ready to blow the lid off that dome. They do not have Derek Carr, Jamal Williams, versus Swag Kazakage, leader at Hidden Village of the Dead. I love that guy. Cam Jordan, the Honey Badger, Mike Thomas, Chris Olave, Taysom Hill, all the faves they did not really get to see in preseason the Saints are gonna come out hot. It's gonna be over early. I think the Saints topple the Titans in the dome. It'll be closer than and the excitement I've given it. I think the Saints win 27-17. That's
1: a very good prediction. I like that one. Um I'm gonna go a little bit different here. I think overall the media is getting kind of the wrong take on the Saints. I think that they framed us as sort of just the darlings of a terrible division that will basically just win by default, not on principle. I think the Saints are in a position to right a lot of wrongs that they had last year. Some games were closer than we would like to see. You know, we could have had a better record. We had a dink in London, and now we're suddenly in a losing record. Look, I think the Saints right some of the wrongs of last year. They put themselves in a position to surprise a lot of NFL pundits. I think we're going to go 34-27, to 27, put some points on the board, Titans catch up late, but overall a pretty dominating Saints win as they usher in a new era with Derek.
0: So I'm going to tell you, uh, a couple weeks back I had that uh, that sports collector show where I got a chance to, to hang out with uh, Jamal Williams, Pete Werner, and a number of other folks. Uh, and one of the sentiments that uh, I heard out of the mouth of Jamal Williams that – uh, and and he's echoed it in numerous press conferences. That has also been echoed uh, by a number of players through my anonymous source. There is a huge chip on a lot of people's shoulders. Jamal Williams, mad mad at Detroit, felt super disrespected, not wanted. Is excited to be here because he felt wanted. Derek Carr, same thing, super disrespected. By Las Vegas. And the team wants to bring Derek Carr back to Las Vegas so he can sit back in front of the old hometown fans in the Super Bowl and go, you could have had it. You could have. But you didn't. The Saints are going to be playing with chips on their shoulders. Something to prove. It's going to be fun to be a Saints fan this season. So with that, one final prediction... How do the Saints do this season overall? 17 games. How do they do? I'm going to take something that's not too crazy
1: because I know there will be challenges. You're integrating a lot of new pieces into the offense. You're without Alvin for three games. I'm going to be realistic. I'm going to take Saints at 10-7, first in the South.
0: 10-7 NFC South champs.
1: I'll even go a little bit further.
0: I'm going to say third overall. Third in the NFC. Third in the NFC. Oh, okay. Third seed. Third seed in the NFC with a 10-7 and seven record? You
1: know, I think... Ten wins in
0: third seed? Yeah. i tell you what. That would mean well, that, that NFC South isn't going to be, be the junk. The worst I love it. I agree with you. I think the Saints will be the NFC South champs. Will they make it... Um, to the third seed, I, I don't know. There's a lot of really strong division champs out there. Uh, I say 11-6, and I've been saying that okay. for a while. Um, I think the Saints are more than capable to win 11 games. It's definitely going to be a double-digit win season. Right. If it's not, Ooh. oh, there's going to be some people on the hot seat, I think. We want to hear your predictions. We want to hear your questions. want to hear your comments. So, if you have got anything to say, anything to add to the conversation, questions, comments, praise for our correct predictions, or any nah, 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 boo boos for the wrong ones, send them to us. Email us at questions at bootsportsnetwork.com. You can watch us interact on YouTube or take the audio only version of this podcast with you on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, whatever your favorite audio avenue is. And if all of that is too much, just remember Bootsports Network. Com. That is your gateway to Boots to Balls and all things boot sports. You can leave comments there. You can find us in all of your preferred podcast arenas. On behalf of Donald, myself, we wish you all a great boot sports weekend, and we will see you next time on your favorite boot sports channel for another episode of boot Boots to boots. Balls.
1: Boots to Balls is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not render legal or financial advice. Remember to bet responsibly. And if you or anyone you know is struggling with problem gambling, reach out to your local
2: gambling helpline.